Hello and welcome everybody. This is the postdoc physical therapy experience. Welcome back guys. This is episode number seven. This is your host, Nick Gula. Some call me Dr. Gula. And today we are going to hear some fantastic transformation and just power of the mind stories from one of our new residents here at Ohio State, Dr. Lei Zhang. So before we get into it, just to introduce you a little bit to Lei. Lei went to physical therapy school at the University of Miami. I don't want to say go you, that kind of hurts me right now. 2002 national championship. Sorry, Lay. Um, where do you work? He works right here at uh, Ohio State University. He is one of our new orthopedic residents. Professional accomplishment wise, he has been part of four CSM posters and actually had a CSM platform presentation as a student this past year in 2020. Interestingly enough, and we are definitely going to get into this, and I'm really excited to, uh, to hear more about this, but Lay was about 350 pounds at one point in his life and over 50% body fat. So I don't think you guys would actually believe it if you saw Lay today. Lay is uh, he's pretty jacked. And one thing that I think you guys should really know about him is this is his second career. Lay is a little bit older than normal residents here at Ohio State, but we're not holding that against him because he has multiple life experiences and he just brings so many different viewpoints to the PT field and he, he can look at things in different lenses. So I'm really excited to have him on today. I've been looking forward to this for a while and I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I do. So without do, Dr. Lei Zhang. Man, I am, I'm, and I wasn't kidding when I said that, but I'm really excited for this conversation. And this is not to, to make you nervous or anything, or you don't have to prove anything here, but I'm just, just letting you know, I've been excited for this conversation for a while. Well, I appreciate that, Nick. Uh, I appreciate you having me on today and uh, talking a little bit about just life in general and um, being able to share my experience with uh, people who want to give us a listen. Yeah, I mean, if, if they want to, right? I think if, if they were smart, they probably would, but you know, we're not holding that against people. But before we get into it, let me say this, because I forgot to say this in the intro. Um, I am currently 14 months into my orthopedic residency, and... Currently, uh, tomorrow, actually, I have an interview for our Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapy Fellowship Program. So fingers crossed, if you guys hear from me next time and I didn't get it, I'll own up to it. I'll let you know. It's not the end, but hopefully things go well. And Lay, this is your second month of residency here? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Um, I think we started early July, so it's almost um, early September. So yeah, about two months. That's... To me, that's crazy. I mean, I've, it felt like just yesterday that I was in my second month of residency and, and here I am 14 months later. So I'm excited to hear about how your journey unfolds through this. I mean, honestly, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's definitely flying by. And even if you think about PT school in general, right? You're like, oh man, three years. But then when you reflect back on it, it's, it just flew by. Man, it's just like that. Well, before we get into some really crucial conversations that I think not only students, residents, fellows, and just everyday physical therapists should really be aware of, I'm going to try something different this time. Teach me something, Lay. I want to, I want to know something. I want to expand my knowledge gap outside of PT. What do you got for me? So... <clears throat> I'm really into like F1 racing, just cars in general. I'm okay, a big Formula One guy. Yeah, and um, there's a unsanctioned race. I don't know if you know about it called the Cannonball Run. I have never heard of that. I'm intrigued. Well, yeah. So you can Google and YouTube all about it afterwards, but I'll give you kind of like a brief synopsis. It's, okay. Uh, it's basically a bunch of people who have a lot of money, who have you know. Don't know what to do with it. So me and you on resident salary, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh -huh. Textbook definition. <laughs> um, so what happens is the race is from 
Uh, I forgot what hotel, but it's definitely in Manhattan. So New York City, okay. all the way to the famous Portofino Hotel in uh, Redondo Beach, California. So essentially New York to SoCal. And you're trying to do it as fast as possible. Okay. Now, obviously, they don't tell you to break speed limits or do anything illegal. Right. But everybody knows <laughs> that there will be some of that going on <clears throat> and huh. just so um just so that we get to the bottom of the story you can you know dig into all the nitty-gritty uh -huh. the record for the fastest car driven from new york city to southern california in this race question yes is 25 hours and 39 minutes now is that straight through yes so um huh. depending you know you don't want to take any breaks or unplanned stops because that eats into your time so some of these cars are heavily modified mm -hmm. uh, for example one of the cars actually gutted the whole trunk and built a 60 gallon additional fuel tank in their trunk i was gonna say how do they stop and fuel does everybody do that or if you're smart, I guess you would, but um, the premise of it is to be on the road so you're not stopped. And wouldn't obviously, that lay, wouldn't that weigh you down? It would, but it's more efficient than if you have to stop for 10 minutes and get gas. Okay. Interesting. So, I'm, well, I'm not doing the math right now, but I believe you on that. So huh. I did do the math, and uh, it's Were an you? average speed of 110 miles an hour. <laughs> that is hilarious i'm sure and that's an average speed right so I'm yeah so going I'm... a little bit faster <laughs> than that so according to uh the the team that has the record they you know using gps and everything they said they hit a top speed of 175 holy cow i'm sure it's out in nebraska somewhere right it's got to be in the midwest there's, there's no a desert there's that. no one around of course that's like it's it's really safe of course yeah, we don't we don't want to condone any illegal activity. Kids, don't go out and drag race after this and get excited. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. I love the so what's what's it called? The Cannonball Race. The Cannonball Race. Do they don't like air it on TV or YouTube or anything? like No, that, right? they um yeah, it's probably not kosher to yeah, air. Yeah, probably. I would watch it, but you know. <laughs> yeah, of course, it but, gets uh, me whatever. excited. That's, that sounds like a, it's obviously not death race, but it sounds like that one <laughs> death race. They're not going yeah. around in circles and they're not getting shot at or anything, but at the same time, it's, it's something that I would watch for entertainment. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of races, I think this is a perfect segue into what I think we can all learn more about from you. And that is what, like, what was your, your track, your pathway, your race to getting to where you are today? What would you, what's like, what makes you, you? Uh, that's a good question. So it could be a long story, but I'll try to give you the, you know, the bullet points, the good parts of it. Okay. Um, I'm here, dude. I got, I got three quarters of a beer right now. I'm, I'm doing good. So. All right. Well, let's buckle in then. <laughs> So as <laughs> all the race puns. Yes. <laughs> as you guys know, uh, Nick mentioned that this is a second career for me, which is absolutely true. Um, before this, I was a forensic toxicologist, which was um, interesting. It was definitely not PT related, no. but you know, it's kind of science related. So we have that in common. You probably did really good on uh, organic chemistry if you had to take it. Yeah. So speaking of organic chemistry, you know, that's like the dreaded course everybody hates. Uh -huh. um, I had to take organic one, uh -huh. organic two, uh -huh. inorganic, oh. uh, quantitative analysis, oh. and then biochem. Yep. Sounds about right. The so... I'm pretty I much hope all of our forensic toxicologists take those, but at the same time, I mean, kudos to you for that. That's ugh. yeah. It was a, it was not a fun time, but you didn't, it had you didn't to be like done. it. You didn't like it. I liked getting it over with. 
sound i can uh, i can already hear why you uh, have a second career <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not the only reason <laughs> tell but, me more uh, yeah so at that time i was a forensic toxicologist and okay. like you also mentioned at that time in my life i was uh i was literally classified as morbidly obese um on the bmi scale and i was just super unhealthy okay um what got you there you know to this day i kind of think back and reflect and i don't think it's uh one single factor i would have to say it's like kind of a multi-faceted approach to just everything in general combined you know poor nutrition mm-hmm. uh, i literally didn't do any physical activity in college um I'm not blaming my fraternity, but I was in a fraternity <laughs> and uh, we, we, you know, partook in some adult beverages. We won't mention names. Yeah. But um, no, some of those guys are still, you know, some of my best friends to this day, but we awesome. share life experiences. Um, yeah. It was just a, a lot of combination of little things that kind of just stacked on each other and, you know, led me down a path of, I wouldn't say necessarily say destruction, but led yeah. me down on a bad path of choices and just not being Compounded able to on each other. Yeah, exactly. Well, can, can you tell me this? And I'm, I'm sorry if this sounds frank, but were you a, a fat kid? I was actually not a fat kid. Um, I guess I started gaining weight. I would say later on in high school, maybe junior, senior year of high school, just, okay. um, started gaining like 10, 15 pounds here. Sure. I was playing football. So I was like, oh, let me put on some more weight so I'd be harder to tackle. Yeah, um, makes sense. You know, and just got, I was a big video game person. So, um, you know, that kind of didn't help my physical activity levels. Sure, sedentary lifestyle. and that. Yeah, okay. just, you know, play video games and go to school and eat. Honestly, that was my life. What was your guilty pleasure? For eating, yeah, I th- I'm a big uh, salty person, so I was just like hanger down on some chips and pretzels, oh, and we're gonna know, get along. We're gonna get along like really. uh, like Cajun fries, anything oh, salty. Oh yeah, I'm in. <laughs> well, maybe um, not nowadays, right? Yeah, no. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still I still enjoy it, but you have to have it in moderation. And sure, it, it's like you know, once in a blue moon, just go treat well, yourself. Little special treat. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell me this. I'm also very interested. What was the what was the moment that you realized that, geez, I need to change something? Um, so people always ask me, was there like a precipitating moment? Or was there like a aha moment? And uh-huh. you know, for me there was, but okay. I know a lot of people there, you know, there it doesn't have to be one, but for me there was. And that moment was when I was in college, I think I was a junior or senior at that time. Um, I had a class where the professor was super strict. All right. He would lock the doors right on time. And if you were late, you were not able to participate in class. Jeez. And yeah, it was bad. So he was, um, he was super strict, came from a military background. And I understand that, you know, builds character, builds discipline. Sure, honestly, sure, sure you know, be respectful. You shouldn't be late to anybody's class. Yep. Um, Especially so your classes time, these days, right? Oh yeah. Like it was, it was bad. Like I didn't want to get on anybody's bad side. Yeah. So I started, <laughs> so I, um, <clears throat> I started freaking out one day because halfway and I lived semi on campus. Mm-hmm. So I would walk to school and um, one day I forgot my assignment at home and he and get and he doesn't take late assignments so i was freaking out oh no so i was like oh shit i forgot my papers at home so i went back home uh-huh got my papers and then i was running late and then i was like oh crap so i ran literally running late yeah literally running okay and then i was in such bad shape my running was maybe like power walking um, and I don't mean it, I don't mean to laugh at you. This is laughing. No, 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 no. please. <laughs> I laugh at myself, and I think self-deprecation is a skill to be had. Um, I would agree. So I was like, "All right, cool. I'm gonna make it." And then something else popped in my head. I was like, "Oh my god, I forgot something else at home." 
So I ran back home. Probably going to be late this time. I lived on the third floor at the time, so I sprinted up the stairs. Uh-huh. Mind you, at my, you know, 350 pounds, sure. out of shape, probably didn't run more than 30 seconds in the past couple of years. I ran yep. up these stairs, and my heart felt like it was beating 400 beats a minute. Like it Oh, was, man. It was at a point where I was getting lightheaded. Sure. I had chest pain, and that really freaked me out. So... I got out my phone, mm-hmm. I called 911, and I was like, hey, I think I'm having a heart attack. And, you know, wow. they were like, all right, cool. you know, no problem, we'll send <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think they said cool. No, but, I don't think they did either. <laughs> you know, just trying to calm me down. They were like, all right, no, no problem, sir. We got somebody on the way, just stay on the phone with me. Okay. And by the time the paramedics came, which was less than five minutes, mm-hmm. uh, I started feeling better, my heart calmed down. And I was just, you know, I was really relieved that I actually didn't have a heart attack. Sure. Um, but paramedics came up the stairs, ran all these EKGs on me on the, uh, at the scene and took all my vitals, asked me questions. Um, basically, there was nothing really wrong with me. And the bottom line, they were just saying was, you know, sir, you're just really out of shape. And at that wow. moment, I was like, what if I did have a heart attack? You know, mm-hmm. what if I actually died from this event? Like just thinking, thinking about the question. Yeah. Just thinking about my parents, you know, mm-hmm. Oh, what, what would the paramedics tell them? You know, Oh, I'm sorry. Your son died because he was super out of shape and, you know, uh, forgive my language fat as fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah. Come on. Like that, yeah. that's, that's pretty, that's pretty fucking embarrassing. Like if you think about it, I'm I'm hearing you. I mean, it sounds it sounds like a really eye-opening experience n- not only from the fact that you're like, "Whoa, I'm really out of shape," but this could also just affect eternity for me. And like my like physical being. I don't think a lot of people realize the power of something like that like you go through rough times you you fail a test something goes wrong you feel bad about yourself or whatever but i mean those like i mean i think it's classified and i would classify it as a near-death experience even though you weren't having a heart attack or anything i mean you felt like it so i would classify that as and like that's that's pretty uh it's pretty it's pretty major yeah i think the biggest part of that was I was more concerned what my parents would think more than my own well-being. I'm like, you know, this is, what would my parents think? They'd be like, damn, that's, you know, for me, that was super embarrassing. And then for them, it was just probably like, wow, you know, um, I, you know, I don't even know where to begin to think, but. Sure. Yeah. Reflecting back on it, it's like, I put myself in that situation everything that all the choices that I've made sure end up like ended up having me in that situation Hmm. even you know our our go-to and I hate to say this as human beings we really don't want to take blame for everything it's hard yeah you want to blame other people exactly we're like oh it was McDonald's that got me this way or but at the core of it it's literally your decision to do anything you're right yeah that's that's pretty deep man i think uh i think we just need to all sit down and think about that for a second because like i mean as much as it's easy to blame other things or just fate or whatever we we play a role in anything whether it's you you're struggling in school and you feel like you're a bad test taker and something's just not clicking for you like you can do something about that or like something's wrong with your family life sure the other person might be crappy but you can do something about that and you can mend that relationship if it's with your parents if it's your like family member like you can do that it's just it's hard but you can do it so 
I want to I want to jump forward for a second though, because I'm I'm really interested to to go from 350 pound lay running up the stairs thinking he had a heart attack to now. You're in residency. You just started. You you got a whole new career. What is what does all this mean to you where you're at now and looking back? Um, <clears throat> I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from my whole transformation journey, and I'm sure I'm simplifying it, but it's not only did I go through a physical transformation, and mm-hmm. that's what people see on the outside. Sure. Um, and I'm not downplaying the fact that it's, you know, uh, a great feat, but I sure. personally think that the biggest feat of that is my mental transformation. I feel like if I can mold and change my body, right, that I can do anything that I put my mind to. And you know, you always hear that. You're like, oh, just put your mind to it and you can do it. Sure. Yeah. Cliche, right? It's very cliche. But honestly, until you go through a life-changing moment where you actually are super dedicated, you have the desire, you have the dedication that you find that mental fortitude. Hmm. So, so how do you relate this to what you're going to be doing in residency and your, your hopeful and future residency experience? So a couple, I guess a couple ways to think about it is, and I love the talk that we had on if people don't know that we had our module this past week on resiliency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell, think, tell people more about it. So we had this great talk on Monday about resiliency and residency, how, you know, what you see on the surface is only on the surface, but you don't know the, the battles that everybody are going through, um, the mental yeah. struggles, the, I mean, even the physical struggles. Sure. Um, so we put on this facade that, oh, everything is cool. Like, yeah, I'm good. Like, you know, I'm just going about my business, but Honestly, and I would say um, maybe not struggling per se right now, but in life, yeah, we put on this facade and then inside we're, we're struggling. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would say that I would 100% agree. It, this definitely, our talk on Monday, our, uh, this was a talk between the senior or just outgoing orthopedic residents, my class, versus the incoming ortho sports and then we also had our pelvic floor resident there as well and i would i i would agree about the life statement it's if you get some new clinicians and i think it's a valuable thing that we have you on our team and on our side residency wise and then we have david as well who's a little bit more experienced on the sports side of things coming in david's one of the uh, incoming sports residents at here at ohio state but you look at the life side of things and you think about residency and I not only want you to think about this lay, but I also want anybody thinking about doing residency or in a residency or even people who've done it or in any other experiences in leading thinking about those going through something that is as condensed as a residency and seeing that yes, normal life, forces these changes but if you're forced to put on three hats or more at certain times and juggle multiple different things i i dare to say that this even rushes that transformation process something that might have taken you i venture to guess a a little bit longer than an 18 month experience it it happens here so like, and, and, and that is the, the singular reason why I was so excited to have you on because I, I am still going through that process myself and I could use some tips. Well, <clears throat> one thing, and I'm, you know, I'm really fortunate to be here is that I think going through this mental fortitude transformation is mm-hmm. just looking holistically at situations and not just 
having one single particular event or activity dictate your whole day, your whole week, uh, your whole month. Um, and what I mean by that is mm. it's going to sound cliche again, but just be positive, right? Um, the one thing that I say to myself mm-hmm. is someone always has it worse than you. Always. Okay. And yeah. a good way to think about that is, now I'll give you an example of myself as I was going through this. I remember I had to drive from one of my clinicals about 20 miles each way. Mm-hmm. And one day there was a big accident on the freeway and I was cursing up and down. I was like, dude, what the, I was like, dude, which idiot caused this accident? You know, well, like we all think it just, just general negativity. Sure. Um, and then I, I was like, man, fuck now I got to call my CI and I'm going to be late and he's going to think I'm a bad student, you know, going down yep. that rabbit hole. Yep. But you know, I did it. We got there. He, he said, Oh, don't worry. You know, like, shit happens like life mm-hmm. happens just you know no we never blow things out of proportion yeah <laughs> um <laughs> you know and i didn't really think about it i got there i did my work drove home it was mm-hmm. fine um i don't know why it affected me so much the next day i was listening to the news as i was driving in and uh unfortunately um three out of the four members of the family died in the accident and Jeez. I, it was, it was tough because, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty positive person, you know, and we're mm-hmm. in the healthcare profession, we're caring, but it's just, I don't know why listening to that kind of affected me just, wow. Like I was so concerned about being late and about my day being disrupted for yep. such a trivial thing. And now, you know, a kid has to grow up without their siblings and parents. And I was so concerned about this traffic. Sure. So I think it that's puts a, things in perspective. Yeah. I mean, at the moment when you're in it, it's hard, you know, you, you're trying to stay positive and you're trying not to let it affect you, but we don't often think about the down downhill cascade of what these events mean, you know, yeah. to, to other people. And I don't know. Tell me if you, if you disagree with this, but my feeling is that we are all to some extent naturally inward focused first. I, I would a hundred percent agree with that. And I would think, and I, I think, and I want to say it is that it's, it's normal to be naturally inward focused. It's a survival tactic. It's who we are as human beings. But I think what you're saying is taking a step back from that and realizing, okay, yes, you're allowed to feel these feelings. That's okay. Don't feel bad about feeling the feelings, but set yourself in the whole big picture. Take a 50,000 foot view, acknowledge your crappy feelings, and then acknowledge how does this affect others? Right. We always have to kind of look at things holistically and that goes back to i guess one of our one of our key talking points is um don't get so tunnel vision on one single thing right sure i uh i want to go back to one thing as well you said somebody always has it worse and and that's what you think um i would challenge you to not think that and and listen to my reasoning for this if and this is this might be semantics it might not be but it's how you perceive it somebody always has it worse that means you're to me at least that means you're you're putting your problems off and giving yourself an excuse that somebody has this worse. I'm not going to feel bad. I'm going to forget about my problems. Whereas maybe we can spin it a little bit of a different way and think about it maybe from more of a holistic lens. And it's why I'm bringing back to what you just said about holistic and like, we're all humans and human nature and just this life that we live doesn't always go the way that we want. 
and you're not the only one, but you're part of this whole big group, this one group in the whole group is suffering as a whole, and you're not the only one that suffers. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, I think it, I think it's a hard thing to, to grasp. I think you're onto something though. It's, yeah, I guess the, the connotation of someone always has the worst has a negative connotation to it. Um, you can always like, Oh, they like, like they're, they're worse off. Like, um, I'm okay. Because it like always comes back to I where I'm trying to reshape this as a, a we thing. Yeah. I think we, if we take it as a melting pot kind of perspective, yes, um, definitely mm-hmm. that, you know, one person in the pot having a bad day doesn't make the collective um bad right sure. it's it's the law of averages i don't know if you've heard that before but once yeah <laughs> so so yeah i mean absolutely what you said is definitely it definitely holds value um but you know and not to say that i'm trying to be negative it's just that the way i think about I'm situations not calling you out for that no 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 it's it's good to have these talking points because you know you never know how somebody else might perceive or take these things but as long sure. as you talk it out and you you see you're on eye to eye with the same concepts it's just uh like you said putting it semantics right like the glass is half full versus glasses half empty I agree. I, I, and from what I know as you as a person, it's, it's not meant in that sense that I was stating. It was meant as I think the, the latter of the two and in that compassionate feeling. Yeah. Which I, I think, mean, which I think is the most important. Oh, absolutely. So, so people want to get into residency or fellowship a lot to a lot of people like to get into it and, frankly, for, for selfish reasons. Um, I mean, I was probably one of them and this wasn't my whole reasoning, but part of it is I want to be the best clinician that I can be. And I realized that on the surface that is selfish, but at the same time, I want that so I can best treat my patients and best serve our profession. Or sure. Not something that I'm trying to be on my hard horse about, but like, that's just me as a person. And like you, I'm a little bit more of a, like on the positive side of things, but how, how does somebody struggle with that, that ownership of it? And like, how do you, how do you accept that role or how do you accept this like changing role that maybe you had to do with uh, changing your life physically and mentally? So that's a good point. It's a hard that word. Yeah. The word ownership itself means a lot, right? You can spin it different ways, but I think what I'm trying to say when I say take ownership is not only take ownership of your life, because in order for me to have this transformation, I literally had to control and micromanage everything in my life. Therefore Mm -hmm. taking control of it. Um, And that means the positive and the negative aspects of your life. You know, you take ownership for the things that go right. Everybody, I would inherently say, you know, people, you always hear, oh, he was the first person to take credit for that positive thing. And also the first person to throw somebody else under the bus when it didn't go right. You know, human instinct. Um, You know, it's, it's vulnerable. Nobody ever wants to raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm the one that fucked up. You know, it doesn't feel good. Um, so taking ownership of your mistakes, I think is even more important than taking ownership of the positive things. Why should people do that? Why, why should we do that as, as just humans in general? Well, I think in my personal opinion, if, you know, if we were conversing and we're, you know, out and about, and I didn't know you as a friend, but I knew you as a colleague in a, in a business setting, right? Mm -hmm. I'm more apt to trust you just because you take ownership of your mistakes. I know that Nick will always say, Hey, look, man, I fucked up, but here are the things that we can do to kind of fix it. Me as a, not just like a a boss or a coworker, me just as a human being will have 
inherently greater trust in you because I can always say, hey, Nick owns up to whatever he does. I would say that's confidence. Self-confidence, to be more specific. Confidence in, yes, I messed up this time, but next time I'm going to do it right. Or I'm going to do my best to do it right and put every effort forth. And I think that's something that I personally need to work on a little bit more. But at the same time, I would, I would like to say I pride myself on that ownership. And I don't, and honestly, I don't think we can ever be perfect at, you know, owning up to uh, mistakes no. or just taking ownership, but I no. think we can strive to be better. Right. Um, I, I try to take ownership of everything. And there are times where, and I know this sounds like such a PT answer, but it depends on the situation you're in. Sure. I mean, it's like telling somebody something they want to hear because it's not going to hurt them versus something they need to hear. That right. would be one of the situations where it depends. But at the same time, I think it's really important to understand. And I think we can spin this back to PT and, and make this really relevant to our, our PT people. If we think about, Hey, I have this patient in front of me. They asked me a question. I mean, we're all smart enough to, if you don't understand something clinically reason and clinically bullshit your way through an answer, or at least an acceptable version of an answer. But I think the the more you take ownership within that relationship that you have within the the PT and patient side of things that the person like you said will trust you more and will buy in more and will be on your side more like hey and this is something that I I look out for actually pretty often is am I afraid to say I don't know and I pride myself on, I think, once a day of saying, I don't know to one of my patients. And I, I would hope that other people do the same because there's no reason why you should know everything. <laughs> and if you do, you're in the wrong room or you're not doing enough for others. And I would applaud you on that. That was something I literally was going to bring up is, uh, yes, applause all around. Out on my back. <laughs> I literally no, was going to bring up, okay, the power of I don't know. I love it. What are your, what's your take on that? I think it's great. I love it. Um, spin me PT-wise. Spin me PT-wise. Help, help our listeners get into this a little bit more. So to use it in like a PT context, you know, and even just MDs and, you know, medical professionals in general, Mm -hmm. I think we're so afraid to say, I don't know to our patients because mm -hmm. they look highly up to us as we're the one that's going to help them. We're doctors, that we're, right? Yes. That we're afraid to say, I don't know. You know, you come to us because we have all the answers. Like we're mm -hmm. going to fix you. While that's great and noble, I think we also have to bring ourselves down to earth. And as humans say, honestly, like, I don't know what's wrong with you, but these are the things that I found that we can work on and hopefully that will kind of fix what you're experiencing. Now, I know that's like a blanket statement, but I think it's valid because A, we really bullshit them with some, oh, this is X, Y, Z wrong with you. And then it turns out not to be, then we just kind of shot ourselves in the foot. But if you leave it open and show that you're a little bit vulnerable, you're like, look, I honestly don't know what's going on right now, but there are, these are some of the impairments that I found that we can definitely work on. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully that kind of rectifies what you're experiencing. They're more likely to be like, okay, cool. You know, like he's being honest with me. And I know I say this right now, but it also going back to it depends there are some patients where if they're super type a i would never say i don't know in front of them because yep. i would agree and that comes back to your clinical judgment so their personality 
But there are some people where it's absolutely okay to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'd say more people are like that than we think. And I honestly think there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. It shows that you're human and that yep. you're going to try to find out what's going on and help them versus. So, so you can finish your thought. No, I was just saying, you know, versus, oh, I have exactly, I know what's wrong with you. Let's do this. And you're going to be cured. You're going to be fixed. And then they do it and they're, you know, they're not better or, you know, worse comes to worse. They're even doing poorer than you thought they were. Yeah. So I really think you hit the nail on the head when you not only said, I don't know, which, which is good, but I don't think that's good enough. I don't think saying I don't know is good enough. I know that's not good enough. What is and what justifies that is saying, I know where to look. I will find out for you. Or we will find out together through some information that we gain through X, Y, and Z. So you have, essentially you have the avenue. It's not just, it's not enough to say, I don't know. And I want, I I wish I knew this earlier with my patients because sometimes that shot me in the foot, but especially with the leadership and the, I'm going to say it again, ownership that I feel like something like our residency at least gives us is that you can understand that you're not going to know everything. Residency is like drinking from a fire hose, but you know where to get the information or you know how to specifically clinically reason through the funnel, right? This is for our students out there. The funnel Mm -hmm. is so important talking about what the subjective results and the subjective reports from the patient are, what their basic range of motion, strength, nervous system testing, like what that, what we can spin that and pull out of that and really say like, these are our answers and this will lead me to what is actually wrong with you. And sometimes that takes a while. And I will tell that to my patients. I'm like, sometimes I don't exactly know if it's this, this or this we will find out by doing x y and z and we will go forward from there and i think that's the key to the i don't know statement yes it's important but the follow-up is even more important and i think like those are all wonderful points if i can sum that up thank you thank you (laughs) if i can sum that up in one word i would honestly say just be transparent with your patient. Sure, but you can be transparent without actually knowing. You can, but <laughs> you can say I don't know, and like we're just I gonna think, work on some random stuff. I think education, not only on you know when we hear education, not only HGP, but education in general. You know, just talking to them about what's going on what I'm going to do to you. We take everything for granted. We're like, oh, we're gonna do this test. And they're like, uh, what is that even for, right? I, th- I think if we explain to them what what's gonna happen, they're A, less likely to be tense and more likely to be like, oh, okay, cool. Lay, you are speaking my language. <laughs> that That is, I know I'm preparing for an interview. And if you're preparing for an interview, you better be able to, answer what are your strengths and your weaknesses you better believe that's one of my strengths is that education piece and i think above all that that is and i find that as the most valuable part that we bring to our patients that is that is my number one thing i put into my general exercise flow sheet is education and what we talked about that day and the coolest thing and I wish I would have done this sooner. And I would say, try this out for yourself even is make education objective. Any ideas on how to do that? Like make education objective, objective. How do you objectively measure education? Well, you can have them state back to you. um, The next session, see if they actually retain anything. 
awesome. I, I totally agree. Now, what is the question that you ask the person? How do you most efficiently and effectively get to that point without going through the guise of, oh, like, I want to know what your thoughts are on this and this, and then you're going through a whole spiel and, well, we, it's important to know this because of this and this, but so like, what are your thoughts? Like, how do you effectively get there? Do you have any ideas? Uh, in regards to having them. Like, what would of, you say? What would you say? I'm your patient. I'm sitting in front of you. Well, you want to I'm know like, uh, what my education is. So if I educated you last time, right. Mm -hmm. And then yep. we, we all got that set down mm -hmm. and then I see you again. I'd say, you know, when we're chatting, hey, how's it going? Like, how are you feeling today? Not awesome, well. cool. Like, you know, all that, all the pleasantries. And then yeah. I'd be like, hey, do you remember what we talked about last time in regards to X, Y, and Z? Yeah, cool. Can you kind of remind me uh, what we talked about? Or, you know, what, what were the three things that I said to, or what were the three things that we came up together to have you try to avoid to do and then see if they remember or now how do you document that well that's a tricky situation um honestly i'm i'm not gonna bullshit you i don't know right now awesome you see you're using the points i love it <laughs> there it is people it's in motion right now so i would say one way to do this is freehand in an objective session you can literally write patient educated on goals. And just like you use goals for justification for insurance, you can use goals and justification for patient plan of care independence. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So you write down, I would say give people, and this is just my preference. You can do something different, but I would say let's give people three basic overall plan of care goals, something that, they know what to do to get them back to full function. So let's say, let's just make this simple. Let's say a knee OA patient. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're talking to, to Jill. Jill is 58. She has knee OA, right? Jill, these are the three things that I know that we need to do to get you to the place where you want to be walking pain-free. We need to strengthen your muscles of your leg. And obviously we know that that means quad hips, calf, mm -hmm. right? Going through all of that. We need to strengthen those muscles. We need to work on your balance to be able to control that strength. And we also need to work on, your specific motions and your movement coordination. Yes, so I would three, agree with that. All, yeah. three, all three of those things, the strength, the, the balance portion, the, the neuromuscular portion, and this, the, the pure mechanical portion of how they go through the motion, the motor control is their three points. Okay. I would, I would state that the first day. And then just like you said, you somehow get to a way to get at, do you understand those three points? Now, here's the cool thing. And this is not something that I learned from myself. And maybe I'm repeating myself from past episode or episodes, but I think this is a cool point. And this is something that really stuck with me. One of my past managers here at Ohio State, his name's JJ. JJ's doing really well, I hear, over at uh, the acute care side. Now he's a big old director of the acute care side at Ohio State. He said this, and this has stuck with me. Ask the person, how do we make today productive? How do we make today productive? Okay? I like that. From that, you're going to get – one of two or three answers, let's say. The first answer, the one that you're going to get more often than not, at least at the beginning is, oh, I don't know. That's why I'm coming to see you. Like, bam. They just walked right into, okay, you don't understand your plan of care. 
fantastic. Let me educate you on that. And then maybe follow that by, please remember this because this is important and I want to empower you to do this on your own. I'm going to ask you again. Next session comes by. How do you make, how do we make today productive? What are we going to do? What do you think you need more of today? They say, I don't know. You do the same thing. <laughs> like, Hey, what's up? Eventually, if the person is invested, right? I mean, you need, do need that. If the person is invested, they're going to say, well, we need to work on our strength, our balance and our uh, knee biomechanics, Nick. Like, mic drop. They know what we need to do. Now it's just connecting the dots of how to get there. And most people can understand exercises and what each exercise is doing. So at that point, they know what to do. Well, I think that's the most ideal answer, right? That is the most ideal. What if you have, well, challenge me. Yeah. What if you have those patients that say, well, what do you think is the best thing we can do today? Because you're the expert. Mm -hmm. Well, most of the time people will come back with that, right? That's the case where I'm understanding that either they're not understanding the question and I will then restate the question and say, well, I'm trying to get at, do you understand what we need to do to meet your goals? If they say, yes, oh, we need to do this, this, and this, like, but I will follow your lead. Great. I will take the lead. And I'm 100% going to take the lead no matter what, based on what we're going to do. But including somebody in maybe the first exercise or the choice has been shown to actually get better by an inclusion with them. So you can spin it that way. Or, I mean, there's, there are some people in your right that are just going to be like, I don't know. Uh, and, and then you know that, okay, here's justification for why you need more time with this person. You need, this person is going to be more of a complex patient because they don't understand their plan of care or they don't have the, the knowledge or the independence to do this at home, which is okay too. We can't fix everybody or everybody isn't going to be fitting into this perfect mold, but it gives us a lot of information to go off of. And because of that, you can tailor your education maybe to number one, either be a little bit more specific with your simple words because maybe they just don't get it. Mm -hmm. Or you can, you can use your, your reading of the person to, say, hey, they're, they're not going to respond at all to education or they're not invested in this. I just need to physically demonstrate the things a little bit better and make sure we at least hammer home the basics in this person before our time is done. You know, the reason I ask that is because I am that, <laughs> I am that person yeah. um, that will... I don't know. That, it's just my personality. I always ask kind of a question with a question. And mm -hmm. it's, um, it's the Socratic method. Yeah. And, you know, like if any of my, uh, my current students end up tuning in, you know, they already know when they ask me a question, I'm going to ask them a question back. And I, they seem to kind of like it right now. I don't know. They could hate my guts. Um, I guess we'll find out <laughs> when uh, reviews come out. You know, oh man, that lay is such a dick. He wouldn't tell me the answer. So, so here, here's what you're going to hear from that if you do it correctly. Because I am the same way. I answer a question with a question. They are going to say, Dr. Zhang was a very thoughtful professor or at least most of them are going to say, who challenged me to think more and come up with my own explanations and discussed with me as a peer and as a colleague and not just told me the answer. That's, I'm hoping that's what they're going to say. That will happen. It, keep doing that. I, I love that. And, and not, everybody's <laughs> going to, not everybody's going to enjoy that. And maybe that's the people that, in our case, the ortho is not their thing. That's fine. And I think that's the part about teaching that is also another hard thing to decipher is this person's in PT school. Are they into ortho? Do they know they're into ortho or not? Are 
like where are they at? Like what track are they going down? And I know that's not for us to determine, but it's something that if you know your students a little bit that you can tailor some of that feedback a little bit to. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of hard to, to read everybody, especially with the mask that like, you know, their facial expressions. Um, oh, these days you're screwed. But yeah, I mean, and I'm a super sarcastic guy, so it's kind of hard to, you can't really read my face. So I'll say something <laughs> outlandish and then they can't read my facial expressions. And they're like, man, this guy's a fucking they think idiot. You're, they think you're serious. <laughs> yeah. They're like, how do you get into residency? He's a fucking idiot. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, no! No, that's a that's a. I would say that's a really good thing because it challenges people to to think on their own. And I kind of stole this from one of my old professors, but I also like to say when they say, "Hey, this is the so and so," right? Or they ask me a question, kind of having me confirm it. Uh-huh. Instead of saying yes or no, I'll ask them, "Are you sure?" Kind of just that, even if that's they're mean. right, even if they're right. The kind of plant that self-doubt and most of the times they're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And then I'll say, well, how do you know you're sure? Or take me through your thought process. And most of the times they'll answer the question themselves and I'll say, yeah, you're right. And then they're like, oh, okay. I was like, next time be confident because you know the answer. That's next level learning there, dude. That is next level learning. You know, because we always have self-doubt. We always want, hey, like, can you double check this? Is this right? But inherently, I would say most of the times you are going to be right, but you always doubt yourself. Trust your gut. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. I think, I think that's a, a valuable role. I think it's something that our students maybe won't understand at first. Granted, it has to be used in the right context. You can't just say, are you sure to everything, right? Yes, um, yes, and I would it has agree. And it has to be used with the right personnel, too. If you know a student that doesn't take well to that kind of, I wouldn't say line of questioning, but doesn't take well to that learning style, mm-hmm. you definitely should not use it with that student. So let me, let me circle back on, I, I definitely agree that there's, situations like like any that like what we were talking about before where you need to use the it depends phrase and that's really important to see the gray but talk to me about how well you don't even you don't even need to talk to me about it because it sounds like and i know you're doing this you're putting ownership in the stuff that you're learning through your own self-transformation and your own discipline and using positivity and you're putting that on your patients and not only your patients, but you're putting that on your students. Yeah. Um, Have you thought about that before? A little and how, bit. And how that all connects? Uh, recently, you know, all these first years, they're, they're stressed out and they're freaking out. And in my head, I'm like, what the fuck are you freaking out about? You guys don't even have anything yet. Like, it's just relax, not, just chill. Yeah. You're not supposed to know anything. <laughs> yeah, just kind of like be a sponge and take in the information. It's like, it's not even time to freak out yet. I don't know what you guys are doing. <laughs> but it's always they, time to freak out in PT school. Yeah, apparently. Um, I guess I missed the train on that. But it's a good train to miss. <laughs> so they're like, you know, freaking out. And I'm like, look, there's things that you can't control, right? And uh-huh. It's easier said than done, but if you can't control something, don't worry about the outcome. You have no say in it. But just And if take, you can control something. Right. Find the things that you can control in your life that you can then, make adjustments to. And then change it. Exactly. I love that. I think that should be our final summative thought something that we have people take home with themselves. Cause I think that that describes that ownership that the, like the integrity, discipline, that positivity, the, the essentially the resilience, whether it's in life or in residency. So I think that's a great point to stop as well. Um, obviously we could talk for hours about, you know, positivity oh, we, we will continue discipline. to, and you will I hopefully be on more episodes. But I kind of just want to leave your viewers with some of my favorite sayings 
that I always fall back onto. Awesome. Um, Bless them. So the first one, if you're even looking for a residency, I know you're in this group of people, but there's a difference between interest and dedication, right? When you're interested in doing something, you do it whenever it's convenient, whenever you have time. But when you're dedicated to something, you accept no excuses and only your results. So the bottom line is people believe in you, right? There's people out in the world, your family, your friends, maybe people that you don't even know that kind of be like, hey, I believe in that guy. Yep. Well, your lack of commitment to something that they believe that you can do is not only an insult to those who believe in you, but it's an insult to yourself. Ooh, powerful words, man. Ow. Like, it's just people believe in you and you're saying, hey, F you, like, why are you believing me? Because I'm not dedicated. I'm not committed to the thing I want to do. See, can you say that, that, that phrase one more time for me? Your lack of commitment okay. is an insult to those who believe in you. I love it. You got another one? Uh, I could dig one up. Remember, people, your lack of commitment is an insult to those that believe in you. And there are people that believe in you out there. I think this one, that one may not have been heard uh, a lot, but this one is kind of more common. Like, if you don't sacrifice for what you want, what you want will be the sacrifice. Oh, I love that one too, dude. Just dropping knowledge bombs here. I kind of stumbled upon these, right? Uh -huh. Going through my kind of transformation. It's like, yes, we all have to make sacrifices for what you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. uh, do you, uh, how do you use that? You, you obviously tell yourself these things, but is there, is there a way that you tell yourself these things that has, that you found to be the most successful? You don't just like randomly pop it into your head, do you? No. So I'll, I'll use it for example. Like when I was trying to lose weight and, you know, be healthy, mm -hmm. I would, uh, I would have friends that would always, you know, invite me out, Hey, come out to this bar or come out to this place and just hang out. But I know myself, right. If I would have went there, mm -hmm. I would have made bad choices. So why even tempt myself? Right. Why, why put yourself in a predicament where you're bound to make a bad choice? That's just stupid. Hmm. So I had to sacrifice a few things like that, you know, maybe extra hanging out with friends because I knew that would be self-sabotaged for my ultimate goal. So if I didn't sacrifice for what I want, then I would never achieve my goals. Hmm. That, uh, that's, it's a hard thing to do for most people. Number one, to have the self-awareness to even be able to admit that like, Hey, I know that I will do this if I go there. Like most people are going to say in that situation, Oh, I can go hang out and I get water or something. I'm not, I'm going to be fine. And I think some people would be and would be okay. But I think if you know yourself and it sounds like you really knew yourself in that situation, particularly that you were able to adequately respond to it. Well, I guess the only way I knew that it would happen and that I wouldn't trust myself is yeah. making those same mistakes in the beginning where I was like, Oh, I'll be fine. Let me just go hang out and they can do whatever they want. And I'll just like, you know, sit around the table and just chill and hang out. Sure. But that was never the case. So then I kind of self-realized, all right, well, I'm just self-sabotaging myself. So you learned the hard way. Yes. Gotcha. Would you say that most things in life are learned the hard way? Uh, I would, I would argue to say yes, because, yep. um, and honestly this, and guys, this is not even scripted. What do you said? Like exactly leads into my next thing that I, you know, always kind of, read and remind myself is in school right in school we're taught a lesson and then we're given the test on the lesson mm -hmm. but then in life in general we're given a test that teaches us a lesson 
It's backwards. Huh. You're given a test that teaches us the lesson. Do you get to retake that test? Um, sometimes you're lucky enough to have that opportunity, but sometimes in life, you know, it only happens once. Huh. So how do you respond to that? How do you, you kind of just... And the lens that, oh, I haven't studied for this, I'm going to fail. Oh, especially with life situations, right? You kind of just, you chalk it up to experience. And yes, it's hard to kind of let go of a few things. You kind of want to hang on to it and mm -hmm. um, let it interfere, you know, weigh you down. But honestly, things that happened and you can't change, if you're holding on to that, it's only going to weigh you down. Um, and it's going to affect the things that you do in the future. Mm -hmm. It's easier said than done to just let it go. But I think the sooner that you can come to the realization of your essentially self-sabotaging yourself, mm -hmm. the more you can move on. I hear you saying it's okay to fail. It's absolutely okay to fail. You know how many times I've failed in my life? It's, uh, it's quite a number. And honestly, I'd be... Couldn't tell from the outside. I wouldn't be the person I am today without failing, you know? And it comes back to facade. Everybody thinks that, uh, oh, wow, look at that person. He has his, like, shit together. Like, his life is so perfect. You know, he does this X, Y, and Z. He does that. And he's always on time. He's always prepared. You know, it may, it may look great, but... That in comes after you running back twice to your apartment in college and thinking you had a heart attack and not showing up to class or turning in your report at all. Oh yeah. I mean, people think that people think that way about me now. They're like, Oh, look at him. He's like the perfect resident. He has his shit together. Like all my other colleagues um, that are junior residents are always saying, man, you always look like you got your shit together. I was like, yeah, well that's because my life was a shit show beforehand. And I learned I learned a few things to kind of, you know, make this a little better, but it's, uh, it's definitely been a long journey and the journey hasn't really even ended. It it's honestly not you know, over yet. It's never, not over it's yet. Never baby. over. That's awesome. Okay. People life is, is essentially what you make it. You make your own happiness. You make your own success in this world. Go forth. Thanks, Lai. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I appreciate being here, Nick. Thank you for having me. Awesome conversation.